Why don't we pray together here to start? God, I just ask that you'd help me and that this would be helpful to people and it would be pleasing to you. Pray you'd help people to focus and to listen. I pray that what I say, you'd guard my mouth and that I wouldn't say anything that's not right or glorifying to you and I wouldn't say anything that's not helpful and I just hand this time over to you and we need your spirit for all these things to happen. So we look to you and ask you for help. Amen. Well, if you want to turn to Genesis 3, we're going to continue talking about some big themes in the Bible. And this week I want to talk about the reality that God is out for our good and that God is good and talk about how people in the Bible throughout the whole Bible really struggle to believe that, that God is out for our good. So if you want to turn to Genesis 3, we're going to read that. But first I'm going to talk and read a couple quotes from an article I read that really is similar to this passage we're going to read. And it's one of the articles, you've probably seen one like this, where someone says, why I left Christianity after 13 years, or 14 years, or however long. This particular person is in their mid-twenties, and they left Christianity, and I just want to read you some quotes, and then we'll read the passage, and I think you'll see some similarities. I don't go to church anymore because I don't like the idea of people telling me what things I should do and how I should be doing them. Dear Christians, please know that just because you think you're right doesn't mean that everyone else is wrong. Just because you're lactose intolerant doesn't mean that others shouldn't be allowed to drink milk. In that particular quote, they were talking about someone saying that this thing that they want to do is a sin and they shouldn't be doing it. And they're saying, who are you, you know, to tell me what I should and shouldn't do? Sin is, a, is an arbitrary definition. There's not really a right and a wrong for everyone that I can choose to do this and it's good for me even if it's you don't prefer it. And so that's what they're talking about there. Here's another quote. They said that they, do, they like other religions better because they don't tell you that you are going to hell. And then finally, not all Christians are like this. Uh, there are other Christians who are more loving and don't condemn me when they disagree. So think about that idea, why I left Christianity. Because I don't want people telling me what to do. Because I don't like the idea of people telling me what's right and what's wrong. And I can make my own choices about what's good for me that they don't like the idea of consequences and punishment, specifically hell. And then to wrap it all up, they summed it all up by saying this is unloving if, if this is your stance. If you, if you say that there's a right and wrong, that there's consequences, and that it's more than just a preference. So now let's jump into Genesis 3 see if you can see some similarities here about not wanting authority, not wanting there really to be consequences for sin and then that God's really unloving. He's not out for your good. So let's read this. Genesis 3, we're jumping in. God has already said to Adam and Eve, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, it'll lead to death. And so here we're jumping into Eve being tempted by the serpent. 
Genesis 3, 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So look at this passage, comparing it to that article that I read you quotes from, very similar. The basic idea is the same. God is not out for your good. He's not loving. He's trying to keep something good from you. And he's threatening you with punishment if you go ahead and, and do it. Not only that, the idea that sin is not really going to lead to death is the same. Sin is just, you want to do this. It's not really going to lead to your death. That's just an excuse. God doesn't want you to do this. And so he's just making this arbitrary punishment. And that's not really going to happen. And then authority challenge. Eve wants to look at the tree and decide for herself. I want to decide for myself whether I should eat this tree, eat this fruit. And if I look at it and it looks good, I'm going to do what I want, despite what God tells me to do. So why do I bring all this up? What's the point of all this? I was really thinking about my own daughter and many of the kids in the church uh, as well. What would I want to say to my daughter? You know, as she's getting older, you know, if she was maybe 16, 17, and she's going to be going out and making her own decisions, what would I want her to know? What would I want to say to her? One thing I would really want her to know is that God really is out for her good and really loves her. I would really want her to have that, have her understand that, and that it really know the basis behind it, not just no, well, God says this is wrong and I shouldn't do it. And that's how I was always raised. But no, why did God say this is wrong? Why is God giving me these warnings? What is God out for? And the rea reality is he's out for our good. And I wouldn't want her to go in and start believing these same things that Eve believed and that this person who left Christianity believed. That I want her to know that God really does have authority as the creator to say what is good and what is evil. It's not arbitrary. As the creator of the world and, and of her and of me and of you, he has authority to say what is good and evil. And I would want her to know that sin really does lead to death. Sin really does lead to death. There really are consequences for your sin. And that a good and loving God is the one who's warning you and pleading with us to turn from sin and to choose life. That's what I would really want her to know. I would really want her to know all those things. And that's really a struggle throughout the Bible of people to believe. They really struggle to believe that. But before we move on to some of the stories, I do want to read a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 30 that really hit, makes this so clear 
You can turn there if you want. I'm going to go kind of quick because we're going to go through a lot of verses. I'm probably going to go a little bit too longer than I want to, but Genesis, sorry, Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 19. This is God kind of summarizing a lot of the commands that he gave to the people of Israel in the giving of the law. Deuteronomy 50, uh, 30, verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Jump down to verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life. God, when he says right and wrong, when he says don't do this, do do this, notice both in Genesis and here what he connects it to. He's saying don't do this because it leads to death. Do do this because it leads to life. I've set before you what is good and what leads to life and death and evil. And I'm asking you, choose life. And what does that mean? Well, it means being with God. He says, God is your life. Obey his commandments, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him for he is your life. God wants you, one, to be near him because he's the source of your life. And these commandments, what are they for? They're to give you life. They're not to keep something good from you. They're to give you something good. God really is out for your good. God really does want to give you what is good. And he doesn't want to keep from you what is good. He wants to keep things from you that lead to death. Things that aren't for your good. Now, this is obvious in terms of two different categories, and I want to make that distinction because you might think, first off, well, there's things, there's sins that obviously lead to death. Sins like, uh, an easy example is illegal drugs. So people go out and they want to have this good feeling, so they shoot illegal drugs into their veins or they take it in a form of a pill and if you've ever been around people who are addicted to illegal drugs um you can literally see them dying over the years like at a rapid rate you you see them and then you see them a couple of years later and they look 10 years older they're literally killing themselves their sin is literally physically killing them and there's other sins like that too but that's a good example. And that's what sin is like. Sin leads to death. There's a lot of sins that lead to physical death. God says in the Old Testament, if you, if you kill somebody, then the brother is going to want to kill you. And things like that. There's things that lead, sins that obviously lead to physical harm and death. And there's other sins that lead to spiritual death. And that's really, we could say all sins. The, the drug use, murder, all those things are leading to spiritually, spiritual death as, as well as physical death. And the crossover goes the same too, that in some way lying and and breaking this command that Adam and Eve did in the 
in the garden also led to physical death. And that's, the Bible said, through their one sin, physical death, death entered the world. And so it's kind of a mixture, but there's some sins that's easier to see one versus the other. And all sins really have both tied together. But in the same way that drugs, you can see the, the physical death on, on people's lives as they go deeper and deeper into this sin. There's a lot of sins you can see the same thing with spiritual death. If somebody's very greedy, you can see over time just that their sp- spiritual withering and dying. That they're not living a full life. Fear, lust, pride, all these things are leading to death, spiritual death. And you can see it if you know people, greedy people, envious people. They're being eaten away on the inside by their sins. And so when God says, this is good, this is not good, do this, don't do this, he's out for your good. God is not saying don't be envious just to see who's going to follow the rules. God is saying don't be envious because it's going to eat you alive. It's going to eat your soul from the inside out. You're going to die spiritually. And your life's going to always be you looking at what other people have and feeling bad about what you don't have. And you're going to be miserable. You're going to be dying on the inside every day. And God's saying I don't want it to be like that. That's not the way it ought to be. And it's the same for every sin. It eats you alive from the inside out. And that's what God is trying to prevent when he's, when he's commanding things. And he really has authority to say this because he created the world. And so when God says, I created to be this way and I didn't create it to be this way, this is the way I created to be. And it's for your good. He really does know, and he really is wanting you're good. And so let's look at some pictures of this. It's e- We can talk and talk and talk, but it's easier to see it as a picture. So I'm going to read a couple of these here for you from, let's start in the Old Testament. I'm going to read from Numbers 11. The people had just been delivered out of Egypt, and they were in slavery, God delivered them, and this is what happens. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic, but now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. So here we see this theme just clearly portrayed these people, God's people have been delivered out of Israel and now they're questioning the goodness of God in the wilderness because they don't have what they want. And this is the first thing I want to say to you. God is good and God will give you what is good, but that doesn't mean he always gives you what you want. Does that make sense? God is out for your good. He will give you what is good. But that doesn't mean he's always going to give you what you want. Here the people wanted more. They wanted meat. And what they had was manna. Was manna good? Absolutely. Was it all that they needed? Yes. But the people wanted more. And so they started to question the goodness of God. And I don't want that to be you. I want you and me, whenever there's something we want that God doesn't give us to know deep down in our heart and soul, God doesn't always give me what I want, 
but God always gives me what is good. There's a story that uh, Jess and I just read in this devotional, and the name of the author slips my mind off, off the top of my head, but he was talking about his his son wanting these shoes and at the mall, and the dad says, no, uh, I'm not going to get you those shoes right now. And the son starts to question, basically, the dad's goodness because he won't give him what he wants. And the reality is, if you're a parent, you know that a good parent will absolutely not give the child what they want every time, or they wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be a good parent that always gives the child what they want. The reality is that there's many things that as immature children we wanted that I'm so glad our parents didn't give us. And same for you. And the reality is we're still children to God and we don't know what's best. There's many things we want that God's not going to give us. And we have to know that that's not for our good and be able to lean in and trust. Trust. God, you haven't given me this. I want this. And I'm going to trust that you're out for my good. What happens if you don't trust the goodness of God? If you have something you want, God doesn't give give it to you, and you you don't lean into the goodness of God, you do what Eve did. You do what the people here did. You start to turn from God because you're not convinced of His goodness. And the reality is, you're believing a lie. The lie that if God doesn't give you what you want, He's not good, it's not true. God will give you what is good. And, but what you want isn't always what is good. And it really led to their death here. I mean, it's really sad. You can see it even on the internal. Like we said, you die spiritually. You can see how they're miserable out in the wilderness, just delivered from slavery, and yet they're miserable because they're looking back at Egypt and saying, man, I wish I had some garlic. It's sad. It's sad that they're not uh, rejoicing. Praise the Lord, I've been delivered from slavery. Instead, they're focusing on the thing they don't have that they want and then beginning to doubt doubt the goodness of God. The other thing I want you to notice is that God will give you what is good in the best time. There's many examples through the Bible, and I've got three or four here. We're not going to turn to all these that God is waiting, that the time is not right yet to give something good. Uh, Egypt. People were in slavery in Egypt. Is it a good thing to get out of slavery? Absolutely. But God waited for the right time. He waited for all the years to pass. It says he waited for the iniquity of the Amorites to be complete. So he was waiting for just the right time to go in and, and to push these people out and to, in many cases, bring the wrath of God on these people. He was waiting for the right time. What about the wilderness? God brought them into the wilderness for a season. He says that they might learn to trust him. It was good for them to not go right to the promised land. They would have gone there quicker. They could have gone there quicker if they trusted God. But it was good, even the time that they would have been uh, in, the prom- in the wilderness even if it had been shortened, was good for them that they might learn to trust God, that they learn that they don't live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Here, this passage we just read about the meat. Was God going to not let them eat meat for the rest of their lives, for the rest of the history of Israel? No. As soon as they got to the promised land, they were going to get to eat meat again. And so God was waiting for the right time, and he ends up giving them what they want. And it turns out that they didn't realize, um, they didn't realize how good the manna was. Once they had all this meat, they were sick of it. Think about Jesus. It says he came when the fullness of time had come, you know, the Christ came. And is it, is Jesus coming a good thing? Absolutely. But there's a right time. And so people in the Old Testament could have looked and said, God's not sending the Messiah. God's not sending the Christ. He's not out for our good. The reality was he was waiting for the right time. So to recap those first two points, do not doubt the goodness of God because he doesn't give you what you want. And don't doubt the goodness of God because he hasn't given you at the time, at the time you want it. He may wait. There A good example with parents is, your child wants to learn to drive and get a license and drive the car. Great, that's good. But that's not good when they're five. That's bad. And it's, is it a good thing? Yes. Is it the right time? No. And that's the way God is with us. So there may be something good that you want that you've been praying for and God hasn't given it to you yet. Trust that God is going to give it to you at the right time. Don't begin to doubt his goodness and turn from him. One more exa- one more point here before I move on. God will give you what is good, not necessarily what is easy. God will give you what is good, not what is easy. And we can see this here in this time in the wilderness. It wasn't an easy time in the wilderness. Was it good? Yes, it was good for them. They were learning to trust God. They were learning to depend on him. Some of the best things, best stories from the Old Testament come from the wilderness. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, well, that's amazing, but that came in the wilderness that didn't extend into the promised land. And so, praise the Lord, they had that time. Think about Elijah. Remember when he was by the brook Cherith and the birds were bringing him food every day? Well, that's a great gift from God. Um, But was that easy Wouldn't it have been easier for God to give him all the food that he would need for a year? Well, yeah, it probably would have been easier on him. He wouldn't have had to trust God every day. But he didn't give him what is easy. He gave him what is good. The same with you and me. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Well, that's a great verse. You know that God is not going to give you. God's not guaranteeing to give you what is easy, is he? He's saying, I'll give you what is good but I'm not going to necessarily give you what is easy. It's not going to be easy to carry your cross. It's not going to be easy to follow Jesus. In fact, he warns us, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And so when you do call people out or when you do try to share the gospel, people are going to reject it and reject you. And the reality is, is that that's not going to be easy, but God is out for your good. It wasn't easy for Adam and Eve to see that tree in the midst of the garden the tree that was forbidden. It would have been easier if it was off 100 miles away where they couldn't see it. But God, in his sovereign goodness, knew that for some reason it was good for it to be there to remind them of something, of a truth, of dependence on him. It's the same for you. So just to recap, God will give you 
what is good, not necessarily what you want, not necessarily at the time you want it, and God will give you what is good, not necessarily what is easy. So let's look at three pictures of this. Now here, I want you to notice one more thing here as we're talking about this big theme. We're covering a lot of ground here. But this big theme of God giving what is good and He being good, He's not out to withhold something from you. God, over and over in the Bible, puts these two categories on one side and, and on the other. And He's saying, I'm trying to give you something good and I'm trying to keep you from doing something and taking something that's not good, that leads to death. I'm trying to give you life, I'm trying to keep you from death. And I just want in my life to really be better about pointing people to the good that God is trying to give them, as well as pointing them away from the evil and from the sin God's trying to point them away from. Because God does a really good job of saying, here, you can eat from all these good trees, all these good all this good fruit in the garden, all these good trees, but don't eat from this one. It's not for your good. It's going to lead to your death. And over and over, he points to the good as well as to what he is asking them to turn away from. Let's look at, it's easier if we just look at the passages here. Jump to Isaiah you want to turn with me. If you don't, that's okay. We're going to move kind of quick. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. I'm going to read verse 2 and 3. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And then later on, in jumping down, verse 7, he says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So here's this picture. And I want to use this picture to, to uh, drive home what we've already talked about. And that is that God is out for your good, and that God has authority to say what is good, that God is warning you not to do what is evil, and not to do what leads to death, that there really are consequences, and that all this, in all this, God is a loving God. Now, this picture in Isaiah 55 is one of eating bread. He says, why do you labor for that which is not bread, and why do you eat that which does not satisfy? Well, bread is good, it's good for you to eat bread. It fills you up. It satisfies you. It nourishes you. gives you energy for the day. You feel good afterwards. You feel ready to go. It helps you to grow. And God is saying, eat bread. It's good. It nourishes you. It gives you life. Stop eating that which isn't bread, that doesn't nourish and doesn't satisfy. Oh, he doesn't say what it is, but we could say sand or rocks. If you eat rocks... Not only is it not going to nourish you, it's going to cause you pain and it's going to make you sick. And the same with sand. That the Egyptians actually had, when they find the mummies and all that, they ate so much sand that got mixed into their bread that their teeth were all worn down. Uh, that they were eating so much sand that they could tell when they looked at their 
bodies from the, the mummies and stuff like that. They were tearing their bodies apart by eating sand, not intentionally, but they were. But the thing God is saying here is that there are people who turn from God, they turn to sin, and that that is like eating rocks. It's not going to give you life, it's not going to satisfy you, it's going to make you sick. Why do you do it? Come back to me. I'm like living water. And that's what it says in Jeremiah 2. Um, it's the exact same picture. I'll just read that to you as well. Jeremiah 2, 13 says, My people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me the fountain of living waters and hewn out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. So he's saying, here's this good thing. It's just water, pure good water. Why did you forsake drinking that and hew out this cistern that doesn't hold any water, just got mud and, and muck in the bottom? Why are you drinking that instead of water? Why are you, instead of eating this good bread, why are you turning and eating rocks and sand? You know, this is a kind of a silly story, but when I was in high school, I had a friend who someone said, I bet you $10 you can't eat this dime or you won't eat this dime. You know, a little dime, smallest of all the coins, this little piece of metal. And he said, I'll do it for $10. He ate the dime and guess what happened? He had a horrible stomach ache later that day. He ended up going home from school and he was sick, very sick. Well, that's exactly what sin is like. It's when you eat, sin is just like eating something that you shouldn't be eating. You shouldn't, like, shouldn't be eating food. And that story is crazy because uh, it sounds like a second grader or first grader, but unfortunately it was a high schooler that did that. And it's foolish, right? We think, well, that's foolish. Why did they do that? They should have known better if they're 16, 17 year old. They should know not to eat something that's not food. Well, that's what God is saying about sin. God is saying, why are you turning to sin? Why do you turn to these things that are substitutes that don't even satisfy you? And I want you to think about this. If you're lost, the things you're seeking rather than God, do they really satisfy you? Are you feeling totally satisfied or not? The reality is you're not, you know? When you turn to these things you shouldn't be watching on the computer, do they make you feel totally satisfied and you feel great when you lay your head down on your pillow at night to go to sleep? No, they don't satisfy you. You feel terrible at night because you feel guilt, you feel shame, and it didn't even give you the thing you were looking for anyways. It was a, it was a empty substitute. And the same with all sin. It's this empty substitute that's not giving you what God intended life to be. That's what sin is. God is trying to give you life. He's trying to keep you from death. Let's look at another example here to sum that up. When someone tells you, hey, don't eat rocks, instead eat bread, it's for your good. You don't think, wow, that person, I can't believe they're trying to have authority over me and tell me what to do. I can't believe that they think I shouldn't eat rocks. It's my preference. If they don't want to eat rocks, that's fine. But I can eat rocks if I want to. And if you warn them, if you do that, you're going to die. And they say, you're not loving. I cannot believe how, how 
these people are warning me that eating rocks is going to lead 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 to my death. I I actually prefer to be around loving people who won't tell me not to eat rocks and won't remind me that I'm going to die. You see, that's foolish, right? But that's exactly what the world is saying about God. They're saying God's warning us not to sin. and We know better. We don't want God to tell us what to do. It's sad. It's sad because God really loves them and he really is looking out for their good. And if you have eyes to see, you can see that sin is like eating rocks. And you can see that God really is out for their good. He wants what's best for them and they're rejecting it. Very sad. Let's look at another picture that shows, just shows how good God is in warning us and commanding us and telling us what's right and what's wrong. It's like, um, it's like a shepherd. Psalm 23, I'm going to read a few verses here from Psalm 23. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So what does a shepherd do? A shepherd protects. The shepherd provides. And that's what God does with us. God is out for our good like a shepherd. When God in Genesis 3 and all the way through the Bible is saying, do this, don't do this, it's because he's trying to provide what is good and protect us from what's evil. The sheep that jumps outside the fence to go roam in, in, the, in the forest with the wolves has not gained something. They've lost something. They may have gained in their eyes some freedom, but they've sacrificed more than they ever gain from that freedom. The freedom is a dangerous freedom that's not going to lead to life. It's going to lead to death. And so... There's nothing good outside, outside the uh, fence that they need that the shepherd wouldn't have provided. If they see some green grass outside the fence and they jump out, they haven't gained anything. The shepherd was going to give them green grass to eat anyways. The water, the same thing. Everything that God knows we need, he's going to give to us because he's good. That God is a good shepherd. God is trying to keep us from wolves. God's trying to keep us from deserts. God is trying to keep us from cold and exposure. He's trying to protect us. And that's a good God that wants his sheep safe, provided, and protected for it. Wants to give them life. And that's what the paths of righteousness are. God's leading us in paths of righteousness, just like a shepherd protects and provides for his sheep. It's a foolish sheep that jumps out and says, I don't, I don't want to be under this shepherd anymore. Why? Because the shepherd really is out for their good. The shepherd really is out for their good, and God really is out for your good. Let's do one more picture here. This one is just a story from the life of Jesus, Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Verses 49 and 50. This is Judas coming to betray Jesus. And Jesus says something shocking here. 
So here's Judas coming to betray Jesus, who'd been spending all this time with Jesus, years with Jesus, and he decides, money's worth more to me than Jesus, and I'm going to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. I'm probably never going to see Jesus again because they're going to kill him. And I'm definitely going to ruin my relationship with Jesus by betraying him. But that's okay. Uh, Judas, in his mind, thinks that's okay because that he chose what was better. He chose money over Jesus. And so here's what's here's the story in Matthew 26, 49 and 50. And Judas came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. And they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. So the word, the key word I want you to notice there is friend. So here comes Judas to betray Jesus. What word does Jesus say to Judas? Friend, do what you came to do. When you turn from God, when you say, God, you're not out for my good. I don't really want to be near you anymore. Sin, that's part of sin is saying, I don't want to be near God. I don't want God guiding me like a shepherd anymore. I don't want God showing me the right way and the safe way. I want to be all on my own apart from God. You're really, you're saying not only something about the goodness of God, you're saying he's not out for your good, but you're turning and you're breaking that relationship with him. I don't want a relationship with you anymore. I don't want you guiding me anymore. I want to do that myself. I want to be apart from you, separate from you. And so here, that's what Judas is saying. And Jesus' word to him is friend. A friend is someone that's out for your good. A friend is someone who loves you, cares for you, who doesn't want harm for you, wants good for you. And when you and anyone and I and everyone who does turn from God to sin, we're rejecting our best friend in the world. That's the reality that we're doing just what Judas did. We're coming right up, the person who loves us the most, who's out for our good, who knows what's for our good, and we're saying, I don't want a relationship with you anymore. Uh, there's this thing over here that I want more, and so I'm going to cut off our relationship, and I'm going to reject your guidance, your friendship, and I'm going to go my own way. And you see how sad that is here. Think about looking at the face of Jesus Christ, and he calls you friend in the moment you're betraying him and saying, I don't want anything to do with you. I want this other thing more than I want a relationship with you. That's what sin is like. And God is good. It's a good God who warns you, don't do that. Don't turn from me. Don't eat rocks. Don't jump away and run away from the shepherd who loves you and who's guiding you. Don't betray and turn from and cut this relationship off with the best friend you have in the world who truly and deeply wants what's good for you. Don't do that. God really is out for your good. Just to conclude here. I want deeply, deeply want for you and for the, especially the kids, as you grow up and you begin to have your own freedom and to look back and decide what's, do I really want to do what the Bible says, what God says or not? Do I want a relationship with him or do I want to be my own master? Do I want to say, I don't like people telling me what to do? The question you really come down to is what is your view of God? Is God a good shepherd who wants what's best for you? Or is God this God that's not out for you good, who's trying to keep good from you? It's going to come down to how you view God. One is a lie, and one is the truth. 
And the reality is when you start believing God's not out for your good and you go after all these things God said lead to death, it's going to prove true. You're going to be cutting off your best friend in the world. You're going to be running from the shepherd who wants to guide you and protect you. And you're going to be inviting in death into your life. You're going to be inviting in whatever it is, if it's anger, lust, greed, uh, relationships, pride, you want to steal rather than work hard. You Whatever it is you're inviting in, it's going to bring death into your life. And what you're excluding out is life, true life of knowing God and following Him and being with Him and His love for you and protection and provision for you. You know, Thomas Watson said, it's music to the devil's ears when he hears people murmuring about God. The murmuring of people is music to the devil's ears. What he's saying is when you complain about God and what you have from God, it's music to the devil's ears because what you're really saying is God's not good. The reality is, is God really is good and he really is out for your good. And I want you to know, not just that I don't want you looking at pornography on the computer, not just that I don't want you going off and and having relationships and things that you shouldn't have before marriage, not just that I don't want you spending all day playing Minecraft and, and waste your life on video games, or not that I just don't want you to steal uh, and things like that. I want the good that all those things are turning away from for you. You know, you go, uh, Minecraft is not wrong, but if you spend your whole life playing Minecraft, that's so sad. It's a, it's a waste. Um, all the good things you're looking for there, you want to build something, you want to be proud of it, you want to work hard and at the end feel good about what you built. That could be turned for good. There's something good there. That's all internal. You're not building it for someone else, but you could get out a real saw, some real wood, make a picnic table and and sell it to someone. It actually helps them. You could fix up your house and, and be doing good to your wife. And that every day that the sink works or that the dishwasher works, you could feel that same sense of pride that you get from doing Minecraft. And you're actually helping someone. You're honoring God by loving others. And it's not just all about you. And you know what? That's even better. It's better than Minecraft. You, and all the good things you're looking for about building and, and feeling good at the end, it's all there plus more. And that's what I want for you. And the, whatever relationship or, or whatever, whatever you're getting from that, that God has something, some relationship that's not honoring to God, whatever you're getting from that, God has something better for you. He has, he has a relationship with him or he has a, a marriage for you that is going to fulfill all those good desires. Now may just not be the time. You need to wait. And you know what? It's going to be even better. It's going to be better to have a wife and or a husband and know this is this is forever. This is my wife until death do us part. And it's going to be more secure, more uh, fulfilling than whatever relationship you're pursuing that's not honoring to God. There's so many good things 
that we talk about the negatives and I want to make sure and talk about the positives. I don't want you missing out on all the life God has to give you in terms of reading the Bible every day. There's so much life that comes when you feed on God's word and throughout the day it comes back to you and it helps you and it, press, and it gives you food and spiritual nourishment, nourishment to press on and to grow. You're missing out if you're not doing that. There's life you're missing. Not only are you choosing something that probably isn't leading to life, over the Bible, you're missing out on the life and the food that God is trying to give to you. The same with praying for other people. It's been a real blessing to me just recently praying over these uh, villages in India that my friend asked me to pray for. He's a missionary in India with a Southern Baptist church. And he said, would you help me pray for these villages in India? I don't know anybody in the villages, but he sent me this app and I've been praying for him. And it's been so life-giving to me just to get my mind off of me and all my problems and all the things that are going on around here and just pray for some people out there and pray that they would know God. It's been life-giving to me. And I want that for you too. I want you to be praying for others. and get. It's emotionally healthy for you. It's good for the people and it's honoring to God just to fill your heart. Ask God to fill your heart with love for other people. I don't want you to miss out on, on these good things. I don't want you to miss out on a friendship with God. Do you have a friendship with God that, that you're not cultivating, that God isn't with you every day, and you go outside, you see the sky, and you thank, you feel thankful in your heart. God, thank you for this beautiful day today. Thank you for this family you've given me. Thank you for the job that I have. And you feel a friendship, and, and you talk to God. If you don't have that, I'm not only saying turn from whatever's keeping you from that, I'm saying, which isn't good, I'm sure, whatever it is, it's keeping you from that relationship, but I'm saying there's something so good that you're missing. You're missing real life in, found in God when you turn from Him. So let's just pray here and, and, and let's close. God, I do pray that if there's anybody who is doubting your goodness, I pray that this would help, be a help. I pray especially for the kids. I pray that this might even prevent one of the kids in the church from growing up and writing a letter like the one I quoted at the beginning. That they would understand that you, God, are out for their good. And I pray you'd prevent them from a misunderstanding of that that leads them to turn from you. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to be more positive and and same more, not just to our kids about what they shouldn't be doing, but what good things you've given to satisfy uh, their desires for work and for relationships and for meaning and purpose. I just hand it all to you, God. You're so good. You are good. We want to trust you whenever difficult things come, whenever things we want don't happen. We trust you, God. You're a good God. We know you're out for our good in every way. Amen.